You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. I was contacted via Instagram about a gentleman who is a former enlisted who's recently become an officer. I guess he's just gone through OCS and his uh, basic course and everything, and he's headed to his first assignment now as a new officer. And I thought this might be a great topic since coming in as a new leader is always something, whether you're in the military or you're out in the private sector, you're always going to be in one of these situations where you're walking into a seasoned team who may have a lot of rapport and uh, very good cohesion. And then all of a sudden you got this new officer yourself that's walking in. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you kind of start off? And I know for me, I've had several different situations like this where um, you may have been given even some insight by senior leadership. Hey, this is a really good team or, hey, you've got three or four individuals that you got to watch out for or this team doesn't work well together or they don't interface well with other uh, teams within the organization. So it's all about how you walk in the door and whether you're going to come in the door guns blazing or are you actually going to come in and, as I believe, be someone that watches for a little bit of time not a long time, but kind of steps back a little bit and tries to make your own assessment of what it is that's truly going on. I don't know how you've kind of felt about that same situation, because I'm sure you ran into it. Yeah, I, I think that's the only way you can approach it. Um, and so I guess I, I don't know if my situation's unique or not, um, but for me, talking to other other leaders, I have been in charge of small groups twice. So at once as a platoon leader, you know, during the early days as a lieutenant, and then again in charge of an ODA as a, as a detachment commander. Um, both of those situations for me, I jumped into a group that was either already on a deployment or we were leaving in two weeks. Oh my God. And so for, yeah, so I, I don't, like I said, I don't know if that's, um, you know, I haven't talked to too many people. I haven't run into that scenario too often, but, you know, I mean, for, talking about this topic of how do you exert yourself as a leader, you know, and put, you know, put yourself into that team in a way that it works. Um, you know, how, how do you, how do you do that? And so, you know, my experience, um, was, I, I think, especially when I was a Lieutenant thrown into a combat deployment, uh, to give you a little backstory, that unit had been there for nine months already. I came in in the last three months of that deployment, and they put me in charge of a platoon. Oh my and God. on top of that, the platoon leader that I replaced was the best platoon leader. Um, he was a senior senior platoon leader. He already made captain. Um, and so it was just time for him to move on kind of thing. And that platoon was the best platoon in the battalion. So not only did you know was I jumping into a combat rotation with guys that have already seen combat together, now they're going to get a new leader that they never wanted. And never asked for um, in the last three months of, of a 12-month-long deployment. Uh, and so those guys were running and gunning those, those entire nine months. And it wasn't – it was a difficult spot. Uh, a couple of, the, couple of the guys on platoon were wounded. Luckily, no one was killed. Um, but, uh, you know, put yourself in their shoes if you're a fire team leader. Oh, God, yeah. And you, do, you want, do, do you want me showing up, uh, you know, three months <laughs> left to go on your trip? You know, no. no. No, right? It's horrible. Right? So, you know, I'm here I come, brand-new guy. Um and just what you said, Robert, is, is key. Like, you can't come in in any other way other than be in receive mode and be able to listen to what they have to say and still execute your job. So the way I kind of looked at it and the way I approached it, um, and, and I didn't think of this ahead of time. It just kind of hit me later on in life. But um, I need to rely on their on-the-ground experience. They, they can be a better platoon leader 
with their experience than I ever could showing up on that first day. Right. So while I still had to be in charge of them, um, I had to listen to everything that, you know, all the squad leaders and platoon sergeant, everything they were saying, um, because they were the ones that had been on that ground. And so one of the things I kind of ran into, um, and this is something I, I realized later on in life, but I would defer to their judgment. And so if I said, I think we should go here, and they said, no, I think we should go here, I would defer to their judgment and, and kind of listen and follow follow their, their, their guidance. Um, and I would keep a mental note of if I was right and they were wrong. And so I let that happen twice where my judgment was the right call. I went with theirs because I was, I was the new guy, um, and they were wrong. When it happened two times in a row, that's when I realized I had enough on-the-ground experience now to start making the calls and go with my gut and, and run the, the organization the way I thought it should be run. If I tried doing that, you know, day one, it would have been an absolute abysmal failure. Yeah, um, and and I'll, I remember specifically one experience where uh, it was a nighttime raid against uh, uh, a high-value target for our area. Um, he was this you know, insurgent that had left the area and then came back. And my platoon got the main effort of a company-sized operation. And so it's 2 a.m. and we're sprinting down the road from our, our vehicle drop-off spot to go hit the house and, and try to find this guy. And I studied the map over and over and over again. And I knew how many houses I had to run before I would hit the, the target house. Well, my, one of my senior squad leaders, a guy that I, I defer to in a lot of situations, um, you know, I, he stacked his squad up against the wall to, uh, about to breach. And I was like, hey, it's, it's this house over here. He's like, no, it's this one. And this guy's already been on, on this raid before. He's already actually hit the target before. And so I'm like, oh. At two in the at two in the morning, with the unit stacked up outside, about to breach a door, not the time to have a discussion about right. You know which house should we go into? So I said, yeah, go hit it, and you know, and they went into the wrong house. Um, luckily, no one got hurt in that. Um, we came back from it, and I'll never forget his his face just said it all like that. Got, it crushed him that that he made that mistake, and and it was one of those things where, as a leader, I'm like, hey man, you know, no, whatever, no big deal. We'll get him next time, kind of thing. So that same thing happened again where I, I think this is the road we need to be going down. And they're like, no, no, it's this one. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you guys. Let's go. Yeah, go down that road. It was not the right road. And we ended up running into one of our own units in a blocking position. This was, you know, maybe a week later. At that point was when I'm like, all right, I have enough, I have enough ground experience now where um, I'm in the position where I can, I can take the reins. Um, so for me, I don't know if that was going to work for a lot of other people, but I found it very beneficial to – you know, empower your subordinates, listen to them, follow their direction uh, when feasible. And when you're right two times and, are, and, and they're wrong, right. then on that third time, exert yourself and, t and take over. Like it's, you're, you're now in charge. Yeah. Um, so be the leader that they, that they want. Um, and, and to me, that was, that was kind of how I ran it. And I did the same thing, you know, on, a, on an ODA when I showed up. I, you know, I deferred to the guys that have been on that team for years until they were wrong twice and I was right. And I'm like, okay, now I, now I get it. You know, now I'm in the position where I can, you know, I, I can run with this. Um, and so I think that's the only way you, you can do this. You have to show up with some humility, listen to the people that are already on the team. Um, and, and, and it actually builds a little cohesion as, as, as you go to, because you're not butting heads initially. Um, it's the transition period for those guys that have been there. Putting putting yourself in their shoes, having a new leader come in. You know, we've all been told like, don't don't change things. You know, I I think I forgot what the 
the time standard was when I was going through uh, infantry training. But I think they said something like six months. Sit, sit back and assess for six months. We now know that, like in the when when you're in the throes of deployments, you you don't have six months to right, sit back. No, you know. Yeah. So you got to speed up that that process a little bit. Um, so I think I found some ways to speed up that process, but um, but the 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 concept of it still rings true, right? You show up, you take their experience, um, use it for as much as you can to build your experience up, and then and then you exert yourself as as the leader of that unit. Um, and I and I think it's simple to just ask yourself, you know, by going with what a, a subordinate says, hey, I think we should be doing this, as long as it's, you know, not illegal, immoral, uh, and it's not dangerous, like, you really don't have a good reason not to go that route. Right, you know? totally. Um, so, for me, it's it's a no-brainer. You know, you just run it through a quick test, you know, are we going to, are we going to get hurt doing this? Is this is this unnecessarily dangerous? If no, then, then listen to them. Go, go do it. Um, and then, you know, if it, if it didn't work, refine it from there. Um, yeah, but sh- showing up, yeah, you, you have all the legal authority to make decisions, but you are not in the best position to make those decisions when you first show up. Well, and you and that's kind of my, an, my piece. Yeah, and you may be an individual that walks in the door with probably more experience than even the boots on the ground. But the last thing that you want to do is assert yourself. And I think that's some of the notes that I had here, too, was the same thing you said. Be honest and open. Be humble. Establish a tone, certainly, that you, you know, how you want to lead and everything and make sure they understand that you are in charge. But like you said... Being humble is a very important uh, piece of this, and especially trying to build and watch the cohesion that's already there or build upon the cohesion Mm -hmm. that's already there. You don't want to all of a sudden try to think of, I used to do things this way in my former unit, therefore I'm going to automatically apply it to this situation. You've got to have that time, and we talked about six months. Typically, I like to look at 90 days if possible, Mm -hmm. and try to just get a feel for the team cohesion they may have people that they feel are outsiders on the team that they push away. Why is it they feel that way? Why are they going and acting in a defensive posture against other teams? It's all of that that you want to try to take in. And not only that, but you don't know, you don't always want to listen to the leadership that puts you in that position that tells you either good things about that organization or bad things and take that as the gospel. Because you may walk in the door and experience something entirely different. Right. Yeah, and I, I also think that um, you have a, a unique opportunity when you first show up to ask new guy questions because you're a new guy, you know. And so I, I'm very upfront whenever I'm in a new organization. I let people know hey, I'm going to ask you questions about mm-hmm. why we're doing something. I'm not questioning that you're, you're doing it. Right. I, I want to understand the reason behind why we're doing it this way, um, just so it helps me, you know, fully understand and appreciate the the entire situation. So what I, one of the things I've noticed is that when you do that, let them know exactly what you're doing, but you'll you'll fi- you'll quickly find that there's some things there's a reason why we're doing it and then there's other things that there really isn't a reason. Right. Um and and it's important to know those so that if there is a reason and it's a good reason, you don't want to change something just for the fact that, you know, you didn't do it that way in your last place. Um if it's working and there's a good reason for it, then go for it. But if you run into something, and, and I don't really have a good example off the top of my head right now, but if it's something where, you know, I, hey, why are we doing it this way? And they don't have a good reason behind it, then that's something that is probably people are going to be amenable to change um, in that situation. Or like, well, you know, maybe you can rationalize a better decision or a better process. Um, you know, so I think that with coming from, you know, in the civilian sector and a business, um, 
you know, you don't want to come in there and just immediately start doing it the way you did it your last place because you don't, just like you said, Robert, you don't know for certain that that will work in this new environment. Um, so you, you have to, you know, ask those questions. And then also something you brought up, um, giving yourself the opportunity to kind of watch the team, how they interact. Um, uh, you'll realize the, you'll start to realize strengths and weaknesses of your organization. Um, and without knowing the individual strengths and weaknesses of the people on your team, it's really hard to lead them in a way that maximizes what they're good at and, and mitigates the stuff that they're not good at. Right. Well, you're a member um, so, of the, and you're a member of the team as well. So you're going to have strengths right. and weaknesses. And so not everybody is strong in every category and nor do you mm -hmm. want that because you're going to have individuals that are going to be strong, really strong in some areas that have a passion towards that strength. And they're going to have some individuals who have a passion in a totally different area, maybe perhaps other than their skill set. And you identify and pull those things out of them as well. Kind of tease that and you look over here and you try to build a team. And that's really what a team is all about, is trying to make strengths where there are weaknesses mm -hmm. in all different mm -hmm. aspects, including yourself. And like you said, when you talk in, walk in the door and being humble and you let them know that you don't know everything at this point, well, you don't want that to be a position where they think, okay, I can walk all over you. But the same token, you've got to make sure they understand that you're also trying not to assert yourself. What I found too, though, um, Jason, is that when I walk in the door, I tend to rally my first peer, uh, first tier leaders, those that are going to be my direct reports, and bring them in and make sure I kind of set the tone originally right mm -hmm. up front. You know, what my leadership styles are, what the vision is I see it of the organization right now, and it's usually very minimal because we, we don't have enough experience right now within this organization or this team to see really where we want to take it, you know, holistically or whatever. But you may be sharing a small vision you have already a set of objectives that you've been given and a mission based on the overarching uh, organizational mission. So you paint the picture of how we need to tie that in. And if we're not executing properly, we're going to do that. And then um, try to also talk about how open communication is going to need to be in place. And that means that you're going to be looking for their input and you're going to be providing input as we kind of go along the way. But at the end of the day, somewhere within the next three to six months or at some point that you deem necessary, you're going to start making changes to make us better, not changes mm -hmm. to change for the sake of change, but changes truly to make us better. Right. Yeah. And I also, um, to a point that you were kind of hit on um, already is that um, it, Individuals on the team have different strengths and weaknesses, but there's also different roles uh, within yeah, that team, whether it be point. a business or, yeah. or or a unit in the military. Like everybody has their has their lane, has their job that they're specifically designed to be put in that place to do. Um, now, kind of fast forwarding from my infantry days to my my soft time, uh, when I showed up to an ODA, everyone knows in in, in the SF world that in a team, an ODA does not necessarily need a captain in charge of it. There are many teams out there right now that the team sergeant is in charge. You know, there's just a hole. The captain's not there. So he's doing the detachment commander duties or you have a, uh, a warrant officer there. So knowing that when you first get to the unit that they really don't need you is something to think about, you know? And so when you show up, um, I had the impression that, man, these guys are really, aren't, they probably don't want me. I'm just maybe more of a headache. I'm a nuisance. I'm a new guy. I don't, I don't know like the most basic things that take time out of their busy day to, to get me up to speed on things when they could just be doing it themselves. 
So my impression was that maybe, you know, I came in there with this attitude that they probably don't even want me here. Um, so I was very quiet and humble, just listening. But I, later on, I realized that they want you there more than more than you realize because they don't want to do your job. Right. You know, and their job. So they like doing their job. And every time the organization is missing a key person, that means they have to either drop something that they're working on to pick up the slack of the other person or or just work harder, longer hours kind of thing. But at, at the end of the day, um, they want you to be there to do your job. So um, I think as a new person coming into an organization, you have to be absolutely competent in your your assigned role. So, you know, let's talk about that, you know, the person that wrote you, you know, prior service enlisted. Now he's, you know, went the officer out and he's going to be on, on a team. He better really be good at the officer role of that job, whether it be, you know, upwards planning type stuff. Um, and someone like that runs the risk of falling back to what they used to do because they were probably really good at what they did or else the army would not let them go to OCS and become an officer. Right. And so if, if that person was a squad leader or a platoon sergeant and now they're a platoon leader and they come in, they can really easily fall back into that platoon sergeant role. Um, and so it's difficult. You have to realize that you have a specific purpose on that, on that organization within that organization and not, deviate from from those lanes um and you need to be you need to be filling that 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 void that's on that team right now um and they will usually they're very very receptive to to that they you know they want they want you in that position um, because otherwise they're they're picking up for your slack so i think one of the real first rules of coming in and being a new leader is be competent in what you do um and it'll show it'll not on the first day, but it'll show over time. Like they'll realize, all right, hey, we got someone that's competent. Um, and then and then only then can you sit from your position and hopefully start making those changes that you just talked about where, you know, maybe we are three months in six months in. Uh, let's let's make us better in these areas kind of thing. And it's and it's almost a discussion with the the you know, like you said, your first line, um, you know, the subordinates, the people that you immediately feed you information. You know, that's. That's that's the crew. You got to you know, rally rally that group together, um, and have an open discussion of hey, what are we strength? What are our strengths and weaknesses of this organization? How do we how do we improve those weaknesses? Kind of thing. Well, um, I I like to also listen to the risk and issues that are going on because one of my roles and responsibilities as a leader is to keep that upper echelon from coming down into my area and trying to run my business and affect my leadership of my team and what they're trying to accomplish. So, you know, it's also becoming that buffer. And I think a lot of cases, once your team starts realizing that you want to gain enough information to help them to be dangerous, basically to to help them from a buffering standpoint, uh, keeping a lot of the stuff that goes on, whether it's in the military or in the private sector, there's always moving pieces that really don't have any bearing on what's going on at the objective or at that time of what they're accomplishing, but they are important and they're very important mm -hmm. to make business decisions, uh, to make strategies, uh, strategy decisions from the military side of it. So they're necessary, but that's like what you said, that's your role as a leader is to do those things and to keep that heat away from them and to kind of protect yep. them as well as to filter in those pieces of information from a communication standpoint that'll help them be more successful. So I think that's important too, as far as communication, is that you, you can't think as a leader that your job is to be the keeper of all information and that makes you more powerful because that's not right. effective as well. You know, knowledge is power. So you gotta 
disseminate that information that needs to be disseminated so that they can do their jobs more effectively, but you don't want to hold things back because you think that's what they want you to do either. Right. Yeah. So I think you're, you're, you're touching on something that was much, uh, much more prevalent for me in, in special forces than it was as an infantry, infantry, you know, platoon leader. Um, and that was, we work decentralized, um, away from our bosses and there is a huge need of the people above you, um, of information, right? They're always beating you up all day long of questions coming down to you. Um, and so my job as the detachment commander, one of my most important jobs was properly feeding, uh, my bosses so that I could effectively let the team, um, you know, handle the mission that we had, you know, that was given to us. Um, and if you're not feeding the information in the right way, where you're clear and concise and providing all the information that your your commanders need or your bosses need to make decisions, um, then they're going to continue to come down and get into your your business. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't it's it's this it's this weird thing where you know you you want to have it's a it's almost like a point of pride that you know your boss lets you run your organization the way the way you see fit, um, but you only get that that freedom and flexibility is if you're actually providing them information they need to be successful and make make yep. decisions at their level Absolutely. um and then it's and it's also one of those things too where there's it's a two-way street so while you may be informing higher of what you're currently doing and providing your team the flexibility and the leeway to get their job done um the team also needs to understand that hey there are reasons and there's requirements above us and that if we are not act, uh, effectively feeding that um we will not be allowed to do our mission to, to the best that we can do it. So it's, it, there's an explanation. And I think that has to happen too, of, you know, why, why does, you know, why does the boss care about this? Well, this is why he cares about it, you know, cause it's a b- bigger piece than just us. Um, right. and if you're able to kind of explain that, um, in a way that the guys understand, they are much more apt to carry out uh, an order or do something that they thought was stupid, you know, 20 minutes ago. And we're like, now there's a reason behind it. And so it's a very, and, and on an SF team, it's, and this is something that was really hard for me to, to wrap my head around. It's very different than an infantry unit. In an infantry unit, for the most part, you know, like the guys just want to go execute the order to the best they, the ability they can. They don't really care why. Right. Um, where in an SF unit, they care more about the why and less about the actual task. They're like, the task is easy for them, like whatever. But they, they want to know why they are doing that. And if they don't understand why and if it's not a good reason – um, you're not going to get a lot of effort out of these guys because they're, they're high performers and they want to do good things, but they're not going to spend their time doing something stupid. Um, so explaining, you know, as a leader, it's like a two way street where, you know, you're protecting your guys, but you also, the guys need to also understand that, Hey, we won't have the flexibility and freedom, uh, to operate the way we see fit. You know, if we are going against this, this, and this coming from our boss, you know, like these are, these are the bare minimums we need to be giving them. Uh, to allow us the freedom. And, and, and so that's something that as a leader too, when you come in, the communication aspects, um, really trying to get that right is the one thing that will give you that freedom to, to be the organization you think you can be, you know? Um, I think, you know, another thing, it's, it's really about leadership and building teams, but I think it kind of goes in hand in hand with this as well, is making sure that the team understands that we've got to protect one another and that means that information or things that are going wrong, you know, let's share them. Let's talk about them amongst one another. Let's not talk to people outside of our team or in our 
in our area about the problems that we're having in the family because we are a family, so we don't share that kind of dirty laundry hanging out there. Yep. Let's talk within one another. Let's do it in a professional manner where we, you know, we talked about some of the weaknesses or shortcomings of an individual. It could be that they're not very much aware of that. And let's build each other up and find ways to do that. But let's also protect one another when outside entities start to come inside. We're standing behind and protecting uh, as a family. And again, I, I can't yeah. stress that enough, too. And that's a teamwork building piece of it. And it might be a little bit different uh, different than a new leader coming in. But you want to show and demonstrate as a leader that you know how to do that and how to create an effective team that protects one another. Yeah, uh, that's, that's something that is... Um, that's a daily occurrence on, on an SF team. Uh, so inside the team room, uh, that's team business, and that stuff never gets out. And if it does, it's bad. It's bad news. Like the, you want that room to be your little inner sanctum where um, you can be real with each other, uh, and to the point where we'll make fun of everybody in that room. But good luck trying to make fun of somebody on my team. Like I might be making fun of that guy for the exact same reason you want to make fun of him for it. But because you're an outsider, we will we will wolf pack you. Like you are not going to get away with that. Even though inside that team room, I said the exact same thing two minutes ago. Um, it's one of those things where you you do need that that loyalty within the crew. That hey, we can be open, and honest. We can air our dirty laundry within the organization because it helps make us better. But never will anybody outside truly understand. You know, it, and there's a lot of times where you make a mistake and no one realizes it. Like, yeah. Man, I cannot. We got lucky on that one. All right, let's make sure we don't we don't do that again. One of the more important aspects of building a team is to have have it so that you can open, you know, air your air your dirty laundry within the organization, and so that you can make yourselves better. You know, you're you're highlighting flaws, weaknesses within the team internally, and those are never to get out. Outside of the organization, that stays inside. That's inside baseball. You know, we, we talk about our, our, our weaknesses, but never in front of uh, superiors or outside organizations are we ever going to you know talk about hey you know really actually not that good at this. It's it's just one of those things where the the team itself will, will get a lot of cohesion out of that where um, you can be real with each other, but but it's for there's for a reason and it's not something that gets outside of that team. One, one of the things, too, that I found is that we were talking about strengths and weaknesses. For me, I always tend to focus more on the strengths than I do on the weaknesses. As a leader, I, I try to find individual strengths and where they're, they're best suited within each piece of the organization because we have each, each of us have, like you said, a job to do. But I think at times leaders come into an organization and what they're really trying to do in their first 90 days is try to find all their weaknesses and not focusing on the strengths of that organization. I like to focus more on the strengths, realizing that every individual has weaknesses. I don't know how you approach the situation or if it's any different. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 as a leader, and this is probably more in the military, um, but it's 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 a very applicable to the civilian, civilian sector as well, but... I, I saw my number one role as mitigating risk for that organization because there there's consequences for our actions um, and people die from bad judgment, bad you know bad calls. Um, and so for me, as a leader, when I first you know get into any organization, I want to make sure that we mitigate any glaring risk of of catastrophic failure. And maybe in a business sense, you know that's something you do with like you know um, whatever type of threat you have with your organization as far as legal what, what can shut our business down right now right. Um, as a leader 
to me, that's something that I, I initially focus on. So to get back to your point, it kind of makes me almost always look at the, at the weaknesses, but it's not necessarily trying to find individual weaknesses and flaws. It's just looking um, holistically as, as, at the organization of like, all right, um, and, and you have to be lucky to be honest in the, in the beginning, uh, cause you're going to make some decisions where it could go 50, 50 either way. Um, and then you learn from the, from those experiences. Now, I, I think it's also like the strengths are something that I think it's, it's easier to see the strengths, I think, than, than the weakness in the, in the early on, uh, at least it was for me. And, and it's only through some small setbacks. We realize, okay, Hey, this, this, this is actually a weakness in our, in our, I thought it was a strength. turns out it's not kind of thing. So I don't know. It's, it, yeah, it kind of goes both ways, but for me, it's all about risk mitigation. Yeah, um, absolutely. What's catastrophic, and right. how do I how do I protect us from a catastrophic failure? Because everything else, if we make some some mistakes, it's really not that big of a deal at the end of the day. Um, and we'll learn from it and get better. I'm I'm more concerned with just making sure it's nothing that's going to crush the organization. Um, yeah. And and I think in the military, I found that as a leader, I would put myself in position where biggest weakness was is kind of where I put myself. Right. Um, and sometimes that was physically on the battlefield. And so maneuvering three different squads, I had three different squad leaders. Two of them were very strong. One, the, the squad leader and the two team leaders weren't the strongest. And I always put myself with that squad when we were maneuvering because I, I felt like I could trust the other two. I didn't need to be there. Now, I would much rather have been with those other two squads because sure. it was more yeah. fun. Like those guys were awesome. They were killing it. But as a leader, that's not my that's not my role. My role is to make sure the entire organization succeeds. So putting myself at the, the critical points where it could, it could fail is, is something that, you know, I, I think as a new leader coming in, you got to look at both strengths and weaknesses, but put yourself in a position to affect a catch, you know, stop a catastrophic mistake from happening. But you didn't thing. assert yourself in such a way where you're actually um, stopping the individual leader from being a leader. And so that's not right. what you're stating. I, I, I totally get it. When you say you're asserting yourself or parachuting yourself into that team so that you can be there to help ensure that there's not wrong mistakes or there's no mistakes made and all of that, that's right. totally different from coming in and all of a sudden trying to fulfill that leader's role. Once you do that, mm -hmm. you take them out of position of authority and the team loses is total respect for that individual or they yep. may lose respect I, for you yeah and, and I, I'll even give you a little more it's it's on a tactical level in this scenario and this and this stuff that actually happened for me you're right I was not running that squad that squad leader was still running the squad I cut down the amount of communication that needed to be done via radio by putting myself with the what I was uh, assessing was our weakest link and so for me it cut down the amount of time I was on the radio because I could see what was going on. You know, I, I didn't have to have that squad leader who was managing a tougher leadership challenge than the other two squads. I let him manage that situation instead of right. feeding me information on the radio. Um, and that's really what I was getting at. It wasn't this like I'm sitting there to protect or, right. you know, like I just don't trust that leader. It wasn't that situation at yeah, all. Yeah, that wouldn't have been the, good. The guy was – he was a great squad leader. It just that one squad had a tougher time because of the individuals that they had there. It was just the, the team – on that squad was tougher. Now, if I'm adding workload to that squad leader, it's just making his life even harder. And that's where I, I could, I saw a potential for fratricide, maybe, um, yeah. you know, things, things of that nature where I'm maneuvering multiple elements on the battlefield. I need to have absolute situation awareness where everybody is. This guy already had a hard enough time leading the squad. Do I want to add more to that? For me, no, I want to be there on an, on an SF team. It was it was a little different for me. Um, I would put myself in the position to 
um, handle what's next uh, because my organization, the way an SF team is, is designed, the team sergeant, the senior NCO there is kind of running the day-to-day operations. So on an actual combat patrol, he's the ground guy that is maneuvering forces on the ground in, in combat. I'm putting myself in a position to allow him to do his job by, you know, synchronizing outside of outside en- entities. He's running the internal organization. I'm synchronizing everything else that's not, you know, not part of us. And so, for uh, like a leadership p- perspective, you know, if you're if you're someone new on a team coming in, it's how do you empower your guys to best do their job and also give them the latitude to be successful. And for me, it's always looking at the entire organization and figuring out. Where do I best put myself? And sometimes that's physically. Where do I physically put myself right. to be able to make this organization better? And it was different in, in, in an ODA than it was an infantry platoon. And so a comment that you brought up earlier, like you can't take that one-size-fit-all play and run it in multiple different locations and multiple different organizations. Um, you, as a leader, especially as a new leader, you have to be, um, I think, willing to adapt to the local conditions. Um, in a way that, but still meet your end state of becoming a successful organization. And I think in business, we see a lot of that problem where you'll see one CEO from highly successful CEO from another um, sector industry, even gets brought in, uh, maybe in charge of a tech firm or something for a while. This guy's going to turn us around. You know, he's successful over there. What made him successful in that, in that first position might not be successful in the, in the second one. Um, And only the leader that has the ability to realize that and adapt and change to the the conditions is the only person that can be successful um so a lot of times i think we see people that you know well i did it this way and it worked last time as soon as you say that to me i'm turning my brain off like you're, you're dead to me yeah you know you i, I want people that are going to take each individual situation look at it with a fresh set of eyes and ask themselves the tough questions the tough leadership questions of you know and are we making this organization better do I have the ability to maybe that what I did last time, maybe it will work. I don't know. But it's one of those things where I think you need to put a hard, hard litmus test to it and figure out, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it doesn't, maybe it does, but you should have a test, a way to figure that out um, internal to your organization. Um, and so yeah. as a new leader, that's, that's a tough part. Empowerment is one of those things I think that you said that stuck out to me as well is that you've got to have the ability to give the subordinate leaders the option to manage. I mean, and so when I say option, uh, you're giving them the authority. It's whether or not they take and exercise that right. And you're going to have some leaders that you will give that authority to, but yet you're going to quickly find that they're not willing to execute. They're still coming back to you for questions. How would you do it? I don't understand. There's a mentoring aspect that you're going to do as a leader, but then you're going to have to size up quickly whether an individual has the wherewithal to truly be in that role. You know, I also... I think um, along the empowerment line, I, I got a, a lot of times our units would, uh, and this is from my, from my conventional days, um, we would have to chop one of our platoons away from the company and send them to work with a different company, a different out, an outside organization, right? So the question became, well, which, which platoon do you send? You've got your best platoon, you've got your worst platoon, and then you got the one kind of in the middle there. There's always one, you know, there's always the best platoon, there's always the worst platoon of the three. They might be all three phenomenal platoons, but one of them is the worst in that organization, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the question is always posed, like, well, which one do you send? If if your answer is, I, you know, I send the, the middle platoon, I can already tell what kind of leader you are, and you're, 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 not, the best, you're not the best leader out there. And here's re- the reason why. You send your best platoon, 
because that is the one that can survive on its own in another organization, and you don't have to worry as much. If you send your second best, it's because you're worried about how you look, and you want to have that best you know, platoon working for you, because uh, that's making you look good. And you clearly never send your worst platoon, just because that's that's just a really bad leadership thing. You you know you, those are the guys that need some mentoring, need, need that coaching. And if you're in charge, then you should be the one doing that leader, that mentoring and coaching, not some other you know company or company commander kind of thing. So it's it's always telling when we were in the career course they they posed that question, and that was it was alarming how many people wanted to send their second best platoon away um, to work with another organization. You know it's. It's just this, uh, I think it's limiting, you know, you as a leader, if you think you need to retain your best asset to be successful. And so, I don't know, that, that was kind of my, you know, that's true empowerment to me is, you know, hey, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you leave this organization and go do some great things somewhere else. Um, you know, and you let that person, you know, achieve their maximum potential kind of thing. Yeah, we could do a whole um, new so podcast. No, we could do a whole new podcast on that topic because I've seen so many opportunities where leaders would actually suppress individuals that were hard chargers for that very reason. They were afraid that if they let that individual go, their organization wouldn't look nearly as good. And mm-hmm. um, so they didn't want to see them get promoted. They didn't want to see them move on to um, lead other areas and stuff. So, right. yeah, so it, so getting back, I mean, for a new leader coming in, and this may be a new leader as as in raw new leader, like the individual that we were just describing that came from OCS, maybe basic course is going to a new unit, or it could be a new leader in that you, you've just never been a part of this unit itself, but you've been a leader in other places. I think the rules pretty much are the same, and that is don't come in with guns blazing, be honest, be humble. Um, sit back, watch and observe, obviously assess the skill sets and also look for the, the risk and areas and stuff that you need to put the most attention to. Have a vision, show the organization how their objectives and the things that they're doing align with the more larger organizational area. Have open communication. When you have that open communication, do it in a format that's very professional and keeps it within the family and starts to bring each other up, not try to drive each other down, and then protect one another as you go through this, and uh, empower, uh, I think is the last thing we kind of talked about, is empower your team as well, and understand yourself as a new leader that they're going to make mistakes, and mistakes are part of the learning process. You're going to make mistakes, it's part of the learning process. Anything I didn't yeah, cover? I mean, no, I, I think I think all that that summary is is awesome and it's a lot. I wonder if we pose the question a different way and what what is the worst thing you can do um, as as someone coming into an organization or, or like what's 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 a what's a, a worst case scenario as far as you know what not to do when you first show up that can absolutely derail your entire time in that organization. You know, um, so it's I think one of those it's one of those things where there's not. It's not a, a hard, set, fast, you know, rule, but I, I kind of took this approach um, when I became an ODA commander. So there's there's two ways they talk about it. They talk about you as a team leader and as a detachment commander, and those are two very different things. But that's the same person on the team. So the team leader is the guy that is cleaning up brass with the guys on the range. Um, he's the guy that's doing the training with with the team. Um, he's getting sweaty with them, um, and he also is the guy around the campfire um, telling stories or, or just having a good time, right? The detachment commander is the guy that's making life and death decisions for that organization, um, and those are two very two two different things. Um, one of my commanders told me, you know, 
you know, you're, you're either a detachment commander or you're a team leader. Which one are you? Um, the way I looked at it was I can start off as a detachment commander and then become a team leader. I'll, you know, add that to to uh, to who I am on the team because I'm going to be there for two years. Yeah. But if I start off as a team leader, which has a lot of like um, friendly connotations to it, like you're not necessarily you're not always in charge. You're just another guy in the organization that's lifting lifting some weight, cleaning things, or you're, like I said, we're hanging around the campfire kind of thing. Right. Um, if you start as the team leader, um, where you're kind of buddy buddy and you know, you're just one of the guys. It's really hard to become insert yourself six months down the road and become the detachment commander. Oh, absolutely. I think it's easier to start off as, you know, the the detachment commander and then allow the closer relationships to build over time. Um, and so I think as a new someone coming into a platoon, especially we'll take that you know scenario of the the guy that just graduated OCS, right? Um, man, he he probably will identify with the NCO core and his organization immediately, right? Because yes, that's yeah. what he knows and that's where he came from. Um, he will fail really, really bad if he walks into that situation and revert back to becoming another NCO on that team that just wears a, a different rank, right? I think he needs to come in and you know establish himself as a platoon leader and use his time as an NCO to empathize with his, you know, his NCOs um, within his organization and say, hey, I get it, you know, I. I was there with you, you know, just a couple, you know, six months ago, I was, I was more, one of you guys, you know, um, where, I, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, we, we put a, a list of a lot of good things to think about as a leader. But to me, um, you can you can derail your entire time as an officer if you go in um, with the wrong, wrong approach and make an early mistake. It's really hard to, to get your reputation back. Um, oh. and, and that's, you know, one of those things where I, I think, you know, if we if we leave that guy with one thing it's you know um establish yourself as the as the commander as the platoon leader um and then also bring in later on that that closer camaraderie aspect there's there has to be that little bit of a separation you know i didn't really hang out my my team when i first got there um i let them hang out with the you know with each other and i didn't really insert myself in, in the beginning because um, i didn't want to have that relationship yet i did right. want it but not day one um and so i think that's something else too, that we should uh, we, we should mention. Oh, I love the way that you approach that because actually there's a lot of truth of that, especially if you're an individual who's of the same age of many of the subordinate individuals. So as an example, if you're somebody just coming out of college as a fresh second lieutenant that's going in to take uh, responsibility over some of these um, individuals that might still be 21, 22 years old, mm -hmm. just like you are. Mm -hmm. It's real easy to get in that comfort zone and become buddy-buddy thinking that's the right way to lead. I think parenting has taught me a lot about leadership um, through the years because you begin to realize in raising a child that you can't always be their friend. You have to be yep. the person in charge. And, and that didn't happen until way late in my career. But once it did happen, it was something that really changed how I approached even my leadership style. So I like right. the I like the approach that you just provided there and the two different ways that you have the ability to lead, and uh, totally makes sense. Yeah, there's. I mean, I remember someone saying, and, it, and it's so true. The platoon leader, um, not not necessarily the case for the prior service guy, but the guy that just got out of college. He's got more in common with those E4s and his team leader, fire team leaders, than he does with his platoon sergeant and squad leaders. Right. You know, that platoon sergeant and that squad leader, they've been there for, you know, 
about a decade in the army. Yeah. Um, and that's what they've been doing um, while you were in school. Uh, and then you've got your young E4s that just joined the army a couple of years ago. I mean, hell, some some of the, like you guys graduated the same school, um, right. you know, but it's very, very different. And I do remember that as a platoon leader. I, I identified with the, the E4s because just choice of music right. Um, right. and like little things like that. Where, but you got to be careful. Like you don't want to bond too too hard with you know individuals just because it's there's commonality there. You know, like you have to still be the leader at the end of the day. Yeah. Hopefully, you guys are able to take something away from this episode and leadership, and especially coming in as a new leader. Whether again, that's a, an individual that just came out of a ROTC or OCS situation, and this is your first leadership assignment, or uh, you're coming in as a new leader to a unit and you've been a leader in the past. Both apply. There was a lot of good information. Hope to hear more from you guys in the future and uh, keep sending those those messages and let us know what you want to hear next. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device. And we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com, and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.